Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recruiting Every Second. I am your host, Blaine Gilmer, and so excited to be bringing you once again here on the Believe Podcast Network, the show in Recruiting Every Second that covers everything and all things SEC football recruiting related and It never stops, folks. The grind just keeps on going. And also, there have been some commitments even during this quote-unquote dead period in recruiting before it cranks back up again with visits in September as games get going and things like that. Guys, aside from recruiting, we are just a couple of weeks from college football being back in the swing of things no bigger game than that marquee matchup on September 4th with Clemson and Georgia and we'll be sneaking that in here as well as we talk about recruiting as there are plenty of recruits descending upon that game before uh, too long I mean they're going to be in there in Charlotte watching two of the premier teams go at it but in the meanwhile like I said plenty of commitment talk to cover There's been some major decommitments. We've got some insight on players that uh, I've seen recently through my work at Rivals that I've been able to go and see and talk to and uh, interact with. So there's a lot of guys that are maybe on on flip alert to a couple of SEC schools. So, you know, this is something that we're definitely going to keep an eye on as, as this year progresses the flip alert is going to get higher and higher for a lot of these guys, especially some that were committed early on uh, to a particular particular school and maybe have some uh, some bigger schools out there that are coming knocking now to try to flip that uh, flip them away from their original commitment and solidify their own classes. So right now, I wanted to start off with the team rankings before we break it down any further. Right now, you do not have an SEC school in the class of 2022 that is in the top five. That is uh, in the rivals team rankings for the class of 2022. That is something that is very different. Um, However, it's easy to see why that is the case when you look at these rankings. Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and Texas A&M are all sitting at number six, seven, eight, and nine, respectively, 
and the most commitments of any of those four is Georgia and LSU with 15 each. So a full class is 25. And you have Penn State and Notre Dame up top that have Penn State has 24. They're sitting at number two. Notre Dame has 21 commitments. They're sitting at number one. Um, and then, of course, Florida State at three with 18. Ohio State is much more in the vein of those SEC teams with 14. Oregon has 18. So Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M are who I consider the elite recruiters in the country, bar none, with, the, with the, maybe the exception of Ohio State. Those four programs recruit better than any other program, and they just so happen to be located in the Southeastern Conference, a member of the Southeastern Conference. So we're going to get into some developments of each of those classes. Florida has even added a couple of recruits this weekend, and they're sitting at 23rd with only 13 recruits. So it does show that Dan Mullen and company have a certain philosophy, and they're able to coach people up but they're, they're betting heavily on those coaching skills and being able to uh, get, get blood from a turnip, so to speak, just being able to uh, really take guys that aren't the, the highest caliber. I mean, they recruit well, but they are nowhere near to recruiting to the level of a Georgia, a Alabama, LSU, or a Texas A&M. So, and speaking of that betting that Florida's doing on their own coaching prowess and things like that, Guys, if you enjoy uh, putting a little extra on the line when it comes to sports action, if you want to get into some, some safe, responsible sports betting, then you need to check out our sponsor, Bet Online. Guys, if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures or who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information. For all of your sports betting needs, visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus. That's right. Whatever you put in, a 50% welcome bonus on top of it of your first deposit. So before the next big game, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So thankful for Bet Online for being the sponsor, as always, here on recruiting every second. And then Guys, now we're going to kind of touch into some of these commitments as of late. So as we said, Florida is outside of who I call the big four, you know, the Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M. And they are sitting at 23rd even after just on August 16th adding E.J. Lightsley, a three-star linebacker out of Fitzgerald, Georgia, and they also recently added David Connor, an offensive tackle out of Deerfield Beach, Florida. So they are uh, attacking that South Georgia uh, area and also keeping a, a in-state talent at home with David Connor. But yet Florida has not been able to really move the needle even with those latest commitments. Like I said, sitting at 23rd in the rivals team ranking. Another commitment. So Alabama was down at eight, eight or nine, it's sitting down at eight or nine, and then they get the commitment of Jake Pope, a three-star safety out of Buford, Georgia. And as I said it with Lightsley, I've said it with Jake Pope, the state of Georgia is a just fertile, fertile recruiting field. I mean, guys are going there 
colleges are attacking the state of Georgia to try to bring in as much talent as possible. And honestly, it's not that Georgia's losing out on so many of them. It's that there's so many prospects now within the state of Georgia. They're right on par with the state of Texas, the state of Florida, the state of California, and, and our guest coming up today, who is Mr. Chris Landry. He will talk in depth about that. So definitely we're going to look forward to that feature interview with Chris Landry here in just a minute. But as he will break down the differences between some of these SEC programs and their overall recruiting approach. But Jake Pope goes to Alabama. Also, one of the bigger things, Dayon Bowie. Speaking of Texas A&M and Georgia, Bowie formerly committed to Georgia. Jimbo Fisher, I've said many times on the show, made a very shrewd, a very calculated move in hiring Nick Williams, a former graduate assistant at the University of Georgia, away from Georgia and made him a defensive analyst. You know, he got like four times the pay probably. And also now he's bringing those relationships over to Texas A&M. So a, a Bainbridge, Georgia hometown guy in Dayon Bowie, that is also the hometown of Kirby Smart and the hometown of, guess who, Nick Williams, that hire that, that Jimbo Fisher made. So Texas A&M getting, getting some roads into South Georgia is a big deal. Another Georgia prospect, Cedar Grove, Georgia, Cedar Grove High School, Ellenwood, Georgia, Donovan Johnson. He commits to Mississippi State. So those are kind of your commitments for the weekend um, but and, and this past week. But I just wanted to mention a lot of those prospects coming from the state of Georgia. Florida, even though they have gained a couple commitments, they're still sitting at 23rd. Alabama has kind of leapfrogged up to the – the top of the SEC uh, guys here in the class of 2022 with the rankings of, in terms of the rivals teams ranking, sitting at six right now uh, ahead of LSU, Georgia, and A&M now. But we are going to quickly touch on how that could change with some of these decommitments and flips and things like that. You've got Georgia and Texas A&M going after Julian Humphrey, who is a four-star defensive back. And Julian Humphrey is out of the state of Florida. He's committed. And Julian Humphrey is out of the Houston area, out of the state of Texas. So A&M definitely going to try to keep him in their state. Right now he's committed to Florida. Georgia is heavily invested there, trying to, you know, they've got several coaches that are constantly communicating with Julian Humphrey day in and day out. So if Georgia were able to land a big-time DB like that or Texas A&M, they're both fighting over him. Obviously, that's going to help their prospects in climbing up the class. In terms of a a couple of Georgia-Alabama battles, possibly, you've got guys like Michael Williams, who's currently committed to Southern Cal. He's mentioned to us over at UJSports.com, the Rivals Georgia affiliate, that if he takes any official visits this fall, it's going to be to Georgia and Alabama. So a five-star like Michael Williams would certainly boost the prospects there in terms of a flip. And then you have also Georgia and Missouri and Alabama, all that could be in on Luther Burden. Luther Burden just decommitted from Oklahoma 
And Oklahoma at one point was sitting up near the top of this class. They've they've lost some commitments along the way. They're now sitting at number 12. Speaking of SEC, we can go ahead and talk about Oklahoma because they'll be in the SEC sooner rather than later. But Luther Burden, the number one receiver in the country, uh, now is, I would say, even a Missouri lean at this point after having decommitted and Eli Drinkwitz has Missouri ranked number 25 in the rivals teams rankings right now. And, you know, it's going to be between, it's going to be between Missouri, Georgia and Alabama trying to sneak in on that recruitment. But I think Georgia and Missouri, so there's a long way to go. There's a lot of things that can happen with some of these flips, some of these uh, guys that, that are just kind of holding out towards the end. There's a Walter Nolan out there who um, Tennessee's involved, Georgia's involved, Texas A&M's involved, um, Alabama's involved. So, you know, one of the top defensive tackles in the country. I went and saw Walter the other day. It's quite clear to me that Walter has absolutely no clue where he's going at this point. Uh, There's a lot of things going on. Um, You know, people trying to uh, recruit that that family overall and make them feel like that's the best place for Walter to be at their program. And uh, he's going to now be playing for Powell High School, the number one team in the 5A classification in the state of Tennessee. So I'm sure he'll have a big year. And he is now in the shadow of Neyland Stadium. So that would be huge for the Tennessee Volunteers as they currently sit 28th in the team rankings. But Guys, all of that to be said, there's a long way to go, but I want you to understand the entire process of recruiting and how it goes down and some of the differences between maybe Nick Saban's approach and how he's he's changed over the years versus that of Jimbo Fisher and Kirby Smart, former assistants of his. And no better person to talk about that than someone who actually worked with Nick Saban, um, both at the Browns and at Michigan State when he was getting started there. So that is Mr. Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. And he's a former former scout coach, talent evaluator, still does a lot of consulting work and now has his own own thing going on over at LandryFootball.com. Make sure you go check it out or follow him on at LandryFootball on Twitter. And we hope you enjoy this feature interview with Chris Landry. And we're going to let that kind of take us on out today now we have that feature interview that we promised you with chris landry from landryfootball.com and southern sports today has his fingers in a lot of different things college football nfl high school football recruiting related everything you can think of and has had a very wonderful storied career and we have him here with us right now chris landry thank you so much for coming on today mr landry uh, call me Chris, please, Blaine. Great to be with you. It's an honor to be with you. I'm glad to, glad to talk football with you. It's always great talking football. No doubt. And it, the season is right upon us, but the moniker here on Recruiting Every Second is Recruiting Never Stops. And I want people, part of our goal here on the show of Recruiting Never Stops is to educate everyone on the large realm of recruiting it's not just oh okay we're going after x team is going after this prospect because they need to fill this spot there is an entire process that goes on behind this and it starts years ahead of ahead of time with evaluating getting a talent pool that that you may be interested in and then narrowing things down 
I just wanted to, as someone who's been on the NFL evaluation side, you've been a college recruiting coordinator at LSU, all these different kind of things. I want you just to kind of the best you can give people some behind the scenes look of what these college programs are going through as they try to get these classes filled out. Well, it's changed quite a bit over the years. Um, you know, I go back when I was recruiting coordinator. Imagine this. There was, well, there was computers, but it was more like word processors. You didn't have computers. You didn't have an internet. Um, heck, we didn't even have cell phones. Um, you know, any, anyway, it's, it's, it was a different world. You, it, it was different in that you would never consider offering a kid a scholarship until at least midway through his senior year because you didn't know what you had. You needed to evaluate him to that point, and he needed to get a feel for where was best for him. That completely changed. Oh, gosh, it's been 20 years now at least where all the camps where you could bring these kids in and then you've got the early commitments. Well, early commitments leads to recruiting, as you say, recruiting every second, recruiting all year round. There was a recruiting cycle, a recruiting season. It, it was it took place all year long, but it was one recruiting class at a time. And we would look at our what we call our junior list. We'd kind of compile and once recruiting was done in February, we'd move on to the next one. Now you're recruiting multiple classes at the same time. You've got a lot more staff. I mean, it was just myself and Sam Nader at LSU. That was it. That's all we did. Now you've got 20, 30 people on board. Why? Well, you've got the internet, you've got social media, you've got a different, I tell you, one of the things we used to have to do is literally have somebody call the school to get film sent in and we would dupe tape and send it back. And that's how we got film. Now you've got obviously a different avenue to get much better film. The film was really, really bad at the at, uh, back in the day. So now you're in a different era where you've got a lot of people gathering information you're doing multiple classes at the same time, a lot of research, and a lot of these analysts that basically we'll call it siphon up. So a certain amount of people do research. Well, there's a – I know when working with Nick Saban when he first got the job at Michigan State, Saban and I worked together on Belichick staff in Cleveland. So when he went to Michigan State, for example, one of the things that we did was to figure out how to take our Cleveland Brown system and make it work for a college system. and the, most people have something similar where you take critical factors for each position. How do you evaluate each position? And so you may have 10, 14, even up to 18 or 20 critical factors. And in priority, what's the most important? So you have a staff and it used to be with graduate assistants. Now it's full-time paid assistants that will look at tape, that will research players, that will get the academic information, try to do as much personal background to try to siphon through some of the players to see who we need to, everyone needs to focus on. And then you go from there and then it goes up to kind of a next level and then the next, and then it goes up to the position coach. Then it goes up to the coordinator. And in the case of say Alabama, Nick Saban, they don't offer a kid unless he's looked at them on film and he's signed off on it. So there's a much tiered level system of checking off that combines with just the when you can go out and look at the kids in person so it's very detailed it's all year round you obviously are focusing more on the next year but you are constantly looking to get a head start at the previous class particularly if you're at a program that's trying to get there 
You know, the one way you can try to get there and get an edge on a player is be the first one to offer them. Hey, we were there for you first, Blaine. We, you know, and now mm-hmm. with the bigger schools, you can kind of pace yourself a little bit. Even if you come in late on a kid, it, it may affect you, but usually some of those guys want to flip to the Georgias or the Alabamas of the world. So it's a very detailed process. You think with more people, it would be less work. What it is, it's more work because you've got more digital information, more ways to organize and coalesce the information on the computer so that you can track it. Uh, you've got different ways to – you've got people that are full-time in graphics that can communicate with these folks. The only time I ever communicated with the kid, the only way you could, you didn't have texting. You got on the phone and you called them. It was an old-fashioned way. It's how we did it. But as times have changed, the whole you've got to change with the times. And that, to me, I think the biggest thing that's misunderstood about recruiting is people see it as a sales element. But before there's a sales element, it's an evaluation element. You have to offer the right kids. You can get kids to come and they may be on some list as five stars, but are the right fit? Are they the right fit for you? So proper evaluation that you're offering the right kids is what's important. And if you do that and all of this process I'm talking about leads to a better way to evaluate, you're in the recruiting business. You know, a lot of how guys are ranked is how the schools see them. I mean, if you got a kid that Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia are recruiting, and he's a three-star. He's going to go up because obviously he hadn't been evaluated correctly. You know how that is. Absolutely, because they know it's more information gathering. Well, you're looking at players, and you're evaluating them for you and how they fit for you, and you decide who you want to offer. And that's the real key with a 25 scholarship rule, and you've got some leeway in how you push around scholarships. But I'm going to go back to like the Vince Dooley, Bear Bryant days where – you didn't have yet unlimited scholarships. You would recruit 25. Bear Bryant would hear about a running back in Mississippi that Mississippi State was on, and he'd send a graduate assistant, and they'd sign him. They may sign 25 running backs in a year. <laughs> and they'd come in, but they scrimmaged all year round, and they just weeded them out. But mm-hmm. you had rosters. You'd have, like, the ninth team running back, the 12th team running back. I mean, you had – you know, it's a different world. You've got scholarship limitations, so you've got to make better decisions on the front end in your evaluation. And then if you're a certain type of school, you need to make sure that you're – you've got a chance to get a guy. Because if you spin your wheels with a guy that you've got very little chance to get, so player A, you're putting all your eggs in that basket – and you don't work player B as hard as you need to, you're going to end up with player C or D. So you've got to make sure that you appropriate your time accordingly to fit with the guys that have the best chance of you getting and that fit you. Absolutely. And there's, there's so many layers to this and how how things go about. So we appreciate you giving kind of the, the details of how the process works. But you mentioned the evaluation is key. I would also imagine that evaluation and those critical factors change over time as the game changes over time. And two positions that I would like you to hit on that, in my opinion, have separated the Alabamas and the SEC, at least the Alabamas and the LSUs. Uh, Alabama and LSU basically as the the last two national champions. And then before that, uh, you know, Urban Meyer and his run at Florida was, I think, that elite talent at the wide wide receiver position and at 
the edge rusher positions for Alabama, for LSU, and for Florida was what set them up to go on those run of national titles and what has kept Georgia and Texas A&M from kind of getting into that upper echelon of just getting over the hump. Um, one, would you agree with that that assessment? And and then if you would just kind of go through, especially at the wide receiver position, what are kind of the, the critical factors today that you're looking for to get those elite wide receivers? Well, I think you're at receiver, you know, you're looking to me, you look at, hands, the ability to catch the football out of the frame, I think is important. I think you're looking at release quickness. You're looking at separation quickness. Those things are really important. Speed, you know, is important, but it's important to be able to run routes fast. So it's it's about being able to burst off the line of scrimmage and then be able to change gears and be able to separate. Because if you're a guy that has to gear down at your break point, then you're a little bit easier to defend, even though you got great speed. So certain routes, you're running a nine route, you even run a post route, you can outrun guys, but then can you run all the routes on the route tree effectively in, in being able to stem your routes and change directions? So those are the things, you know, route running, you can teach, um, you know, um, to, the, the general speed, I, I like some toughness in a guy. I like a guy that's played on defense. Because you've got to be able to block, you've got to be able to go over the middle, you got to be able to do certain things. And even though they don't allow you to hit as much as they used to, it's important. Toughness, big factor, really important. You got to got to embrace the contact. Can you make plays after the catch? Run after catch is a big important part of it. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing that's maybe a little bit underrated is you've got to be able to understand the passing game. You got to understand routes. You got to understand side adjustments. You got to understand something about coverages. So that if you're going to make adjustments, you've got to be able to understand if you've got choice routes to know what route you need to run against a certain pre-snap look. And those are things that are a little bit more advanced than back in the day. That has changed over time, but that's become a featured position and there are more of them. High schools are running a lot of three, four wides. Well, they got more numbers of those guys. So you, and you got seven on seven. So that's a position to where they're plentiful, and the reason it's changed is because the rules have changed on the field. So you you allow RPOs, which technically the way football used to be are illegal because <laughs> it is downfield. <laughs> well, correct. It's a it's not a run. It's not a pass. It's a run pass option. So hey, if they're not going to call it, hey, let's embrace it. And Nick Saban's a perfect example of it. Nick Saban fit into the mold. That's where Kirby Smart learned it. That's where Jimbo Fisher learned it, their philosophy of offense. Mm -hmm. We're going to pound you. We're going to run play action. But he saw that, well, if they're not going to call this, and he was the one that was complaining on it the most, we're going to embrace it. You know what I mean? It's just like mm -hmm. anything else. It's just you've got to be able to do it. In the NFL, Marv Levy complained about the no huddle because Cincinnati was running it. He complained to the league office so much, and he said, you're not going to change it. We're going to run the keg on offense with, Jim Kelly and four Super Bowl appearances later, I know no wins, but four Super Bowls later, they're running a no huddle, you know, adapt or die. And so you're seeing a lot of that. Now, what has affected the most is the type of receivers because you need to build them differently. The X receiver is different than the Y. The slots are different. You got two types of slot, the big slot, the tight end flex guys, the, the quick small slot. So I look at 
building receivers like building a basketball team, a point guard body, a, a wing body, a post body. I mean, you have different types of guys that can run different types of routes and be successful for you. Now, on the flip side, the other position that I think is been most affected is the defensive backs because they got to cover those guys. So the Mark Barron type safeties wouldn't play safety for Alabama right now because they he was an in-the-box safety that was a physical run enforcer. They needed to get quicker and faster to cover more guys so you get those more of those type of guys. Uh, and certainly if you're going to factor in more of the passing game, you've got to affect the passing game with pass rushers to which you talked about. And it's not just the edge rushers. It's the defensive tackle. So how do you build your defense? Do you want to bring the pressure from the edge? Are you a one-gap team? If you're a one-gap team, you better have good, explosive defensive tackles, three techniques that can shoot the gap and get off the field and penetrate against the quarterback. But if it's an athletic quarterback, do you want to play more gap control and bring pressure from the edge to prevent that athletic quarterback from getting outside the pocket? So it's important that you have not only good edge pressure and good interior pressure, but you have a lot of them because what's the other thing that we're seeing? Tempo, 85 snaps. Well, good luck being able to defend on that. Yeah. And if you can't do that and stay, keep your guys on the field defensively and adjust, you can be the best defensive line at any level. You can be the best defensive line in college football. You can go eight deep. But if you're playing 90 snaps in a game, those guys' legs are dead by the fourth quarter, and they're not the All-Americans they were in the first quarter. So it's a battle of attrition. And so you've got to, to me, play complementary ball. You can't always go up-tempo. You've got to have an effective four-minute offense. So you mentioned Jimbo and Kirby. Mm -hmm. I would also submit to you Lincoln Riley on the other end. There's a guy, and we'll see what they do this year. They have been so good at an elite level, that's another elite program, that runs an offense that is very up-tempo. But, yes, their personnel has been lacking. They've upgraded that. But their ability to win championships, national championships, is going to depend upon their ability to be just as effective in a four-minute offense. Because if you're putting that defense, I don't care how it, in, on the field that many snaps, you're trying to win shootout games. Yeah. You're a, you're a a a higher cut version of an Ole Miss offense, you know, an Ole Miss team. You know, you've got to be able to play. So I think that Kirby has been trying to modify his offense. I think their circumstances have thrown a monkey wrench into it, and the quarterback plays a part of it. I do think they're trying to recruit a different type of receiver. I think they want to go vertical more, but I also think they want to be able to basically get points out of the passing game and be able to score more effectively in a two-minute offense when they have to. But I still think they want to be a dominant four-minute offense, and that's a championship level. Jimbo believes in the running game, but Jimbo, to me, does a really good job with quarterbacks, and he's taken a lot of average quarterbacks and been real effective throwing it with them. And I think with the tight ends, he works the tight ends a little bit more. So they work the horizontal passing game a little more. It's a little bit more ball control, and it's and it's a different way to do it. I, I don't know that, uh, first of all, Jimbo is building a dynamite program. Mm -hmm. 
Kirby already has a great program. The only problem they have is getting past Alabama, and that's a problem that everybody's finding, and nobody's cracked that that uh, that nut there. So let's see where it goes. But I do think that is something that that I think both would like to become a little bit more effective with their ability to score out of the passing game and be more effective in the two-minute offense because I do think it's caught them a couple of times. It's prevented them from being at their highest level, but everything else about their programs are elite. But I do think that uh, – I think they're both progressing towards that direction, frankly. And when you talk about Georgia trying to change their wide receiver recruiting, can you kind of take a step back and let people know – because you, you cover this from both ends. You know, you look at the recruiting aspect, but also the NFL preparation for the draft. Can you just tell people how special those past – couple of receiving cores for the LSU national championship and the most recent Alabama national championship have been and how far off a Georgia or an A&M is from getting to that type of talent level. I think the big difference is numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had, well, Alabama has been freakish. Um, watch Ohio state this year. Ohio state's got a receiver room. That's phenomenal. Um, Pick your poison. So, so here's here's what I think that is maybe overlooked is is how effective Alabama was in running out of the spread sets, and I think that's something that Georgia is going to want to do. Maybe even more so than than A and M with Jimbo style, because I think Todd Munkin is 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 certainly wanting to do more of that. The the having multiple receivers you have to account for defensively is the biggest problem that you had when defending like an Alabama or an LSU two years ago. LSU protected well. They had a great trigger man in Joe Burrow that could really quickly identify the second and tertiary read, but it was some cases a little high-low read or half-field read, but you had the right type of receiver. You had vertical guys. You had underneath guys. You had crossers. You had a check down guy in the back, and they were willing to do it and work that. They were very effective. With uh, Alabama, it's a lot of the same, but they do it more with their receivers. They have four guys that they can throw out there. And so they can rotate them or go three wides, and, you know, it forces your safeties safeties to play deep. So what are they seeing? They're seeing seven-man boxes, sometimes six-and-a-half-man boxes, and they're running like crazy on it. So, you know, if you don't play us, you play us one way, we'll attack you and get a cheap, quick score. If you want to, you know, uh, with a lead, you want to play back, we're going to run the football on you. So they have the answers, whereas Georgia's not had the answers. They've not had the multitude, nor have they had what I would call elite quarterback passing talent. They had good decision-making and good short intermediary passing game. Now I think with JT Daniels, they have the ability to go vertical more, to go outside the numbers more, and to be able to attack more. Now, do they have enough at receiver yet? I think if you got two receivers and you're limited – I think maybe going to three wide sets and being those things will allow you to be able to run the football effectively out of that look, but also allows you to make some plays in the passing game. I don't think they have the numbers that they need, um, particularly in George's case. And I think 
A&M is starting to get there. And I think Georgia's going to get there. Georgia's recruiting is not the issue. As they identify that, and that becomes a more of a focal point of what they want, then they're going to be able to get those type of receivers. They know how to recruit. They've got the relationships, what have you. But when players start to see, oh, receiver, I see what they're doing offensively now, that's a that's a more intriguing place to go when you emphasize more of that than maybe what they've done before. Right now, it's been a different looking type. Well, I don't know that they throw the ball enough. And I, it's been the issue with quarterbacks, too. I don't know if I'm going to grow and develop. I think those things, at least, I think the plan is to change. How much is going to be fun to watch and how they blend it without going too far away. The other thing to keep in mind, Kirby Smart is a young football coach. <laughs> He's learning on the job at a place where if you don't win the national championship, you stink. You know, we just, unfortunately, you know, we, we buried one of the great coaches this past week in Bobby Bowden, who I knew for years. He couldn't win the big one in people's eyes. He couldn't win the big one. That was his moniker. Tom Osborne couldn't win the big one. But they were consistently good, and they eventually won a couple each. Oh, so yeah. that's going to happen for Kirby. It, it's just, you know, he's going to have to learn and grow as a head coach. He understands football the way he was brought up defensively. He hadn't had a year as a Toledo coach. He hasn't spent years in the NFL. He didn't spend six years at Michigan State. He didn't, you know, he was with Nick along the way at LSU and the NFL. So, in Alabama, of course. So, I think, I think, we'll see. I think Kirby's starting to get it. And I'm not so sure that he hasn't understood this, but getting there is sometimes a, a chicken and egg thing, right? I mean, until yeah. you have all the pieces, you better go with what works for you because I don't think they want to get in and shoot out games until they can win shootout games and be effective in shootout games. I still don't think they want to be in shootout games, but I think they want to be able to attack you vertically when they can. And to this point, I don't think they've been as confident doing it. I'm curious to see how that flips this year or if it does. Absolutely. Here on Recruiting Every Second with Chris Landry at Landry Football on Twitter. And Chris, I want to ask you one last question before we let you go. I consider Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and A&M the upper tier at of college football in SEC right now. I know Florida had a resurgent year last year, but I, I think Florida, uh, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Auburn are the four in that second tier that are trying to fight to get into that contention year in and year out with Georgia and and to increase their recruiting. Because even though Florida has been successful, they are not a great recruiting program. They finish you know outside the top ten regularly, it seems like, with Dan Mullen there. Which program out of Florida, Kentucky, uh, Auburn, and Ole Miss do you think can – recruit enough maybe has the resources enough the system what have you to to crack into that upper tier of the sec oh it's definitely florida i mean they they they're close and you know the only thing georgia's got better overall talent florida recruits well um they may not recruit as well as others but they're very well coached um offensively and i think defensively part of the problem was personnel I think that to me, it's Georgia and then it's Florida in the East. Georgia's better personnel, but Florida's Florida's close. Now this year they got a tougher schedule, but that's not what we're talking about. Then right now, 
Kentucky does as good a job of recruiting their type of player. They recruit the upper south, what I call it, and into Ohio, and they develop players. It's a developmental program. They don't get enough skill players, and that's what they're trying to do with Liam Coleman on offense. Missouri, I think, is not quite there offensively, and they've got to do a better job in state. But but early on, Eli's done a really good job in a state, that St. Louis area. He's probably done more in one year than they've done in a decade in recruiting there. So we'll see where that develops. Um, and then, you know, South Carolina's way down. Tennessee's rebuilding. Vanderbilt's not very good. On on the west side, overall, the the program that looks the closest to Alabama, like behind the curtain, the way they do things and how they do it is Georgia. Um, the next best on how they do it is A&M in terms of their infrastructure, what they do. LSU right now has a little more talent than A&M, but A&M, it's really close. A&M's better coached. The issue with LSU is consistency. They are so much hit or miss with their coaches because Ed's not a great X's and O guy. And so when you hire Matt Canada and it's a disaster, the season's a mess. When you hire Bo Pelini, Scott Linehan last year, it's a mess. And I know it was a COVID year, but it was a mess and it was a bad hire. Mm-hmm. When you hire, you know, uh, Joe Brady and you hit with Joe Burrow and things click, boom, it was phenomenal. But to me, there's more consistency in the Georgia program, more consistency at AM. But, you know, people are like, oh, they want a title, they're better. That's fine. You know, for one year they were consistency. But I do think that LSU is really, really talented. It's just the consistency of how they develop. I mean, they had, they've got a, 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 an elite corner prospect in Derek Stingley um, that looked like a reject last year. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, because of how they played and performed, and that was that's coaching. Um, and they've got a really good defensive back coach. So I would say that in the West, I think, you know, Alabama, you know, certainly, then I would probably put A&M and LSU in that group. And then I would go Ole Miss. Ole Miss – doesn't have enough talent on defense. I don't know if Lane's going to be disciplined enough to play more to that defense, but they're very good on offense. Um, Arkansas, I think Auburn is the team to watch and see whether Brian Brian Harson's a really good coach. He's a better coach than Gus Malzahn, but I don't know if they're going to recruit at that level. To me, Auburn is a lot like Florida in that regard. They're good. They're well coached, but if if they're going to beat – you know, Auburn's got to play Georgia every year. They got to beat Alabama and they got to beat LSU. Well, if you're recruiting below those schools, then you've got a what I call up coach. So Auburn and Florida are the schools that have the resources, the the tradition and everything to be really, really good. They're just chasing some other good ones. I think Ole Miss still they're not, they don't have the resources to that level. Arkansas doesn't. Um, Mississippi State doesn't. Um, you know, certainly Tennessee's got a long way to come back, but they have some resources and Tennessee with the right guy and they haven't done it right. The state of Tennessee has changed dramatically, just like Georgia, the state of Georgia has become one of the elite recruiting states. They are in the same conversation as Florida, Texas, and California. Yes, Georgia is. They are in that group. You know, you may put them behind them. They are in the absolute elite. Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, 
which used to be in the just as recent as the Philip Fulmer era, had to go out of state to get the majority of his players. The, the, the middle Tennessee area of Nashville is booming, and the prospects are getting more and more plentiful and quality, and that's going to make that job that much more appealing and the right guy. And I'm not sure that Josh Heupel, quite frankly, is because I don't think his defense will ever be good enough. The right guy over time can start to get Tennessee back. So I would put them long range as somebody that can get back. But right now, to answer your question, it's Florida and Auburn. The others are programs that have a ceiling. And I think that Kentucky's at their ceiling. And they're only only third because Tennessee hasn't figured out what they're doing. Um, and you know, out in the, uh, in the East, uh, I mean, I think it's clear Georgia and Florida. I, I don't, I don't think Kentucky's as close to Florida. I mean, I think they can beat them in a given year, but I think there's a gap there. And in, in the West, I think there's, there's a bit of a gap after A&M and LSU to the next group, but, but Auburn can get in that conversation. Um, I don't know if Brian can recruit well enough to do it, but they, they can absolutely get in that same combination and have been in that group in the past and can be again. That's fantastic insight. And that's exactly what we love is to get kind of into the granular part of recruiting, not only just focusing on specific prospects and players that are in current classes right now, but the impact long range and, and and what is uh, happening inside of these programs. And, And Chris Landry provides that for us here today, Chris. Uh, before we, you know, let you go out of here, tell everybody where they can make sure they're listening to all all of uh, your content and uh, how they can follow you on social media. Well, appreciate that. You can follow me at Landry Football. Uh, go to LandryFootball.com and you can um, get all the podcasts. But you can also get we. It's a subscription site where we do all the film room stuff. It's very affordable. It's less than ten dollars a month. In fact, it's even less than that if you get it on a year membership. We break down. Uh, the games, the games are starting. We're going to break down the games inside the film room. We're going to review and grade players. So if it involves players, teams, coaches, schemes at the college and NFL level, recruiting, draft, you know, evaluating the teams in college, right, evaluating the NFL, inside news and in our notebooks every day in college and NFL notebooks, we got it all for you. It's your one-stop shopping football. If you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. So check that out today. And you can um, hear all of our stuff there as well. So um, we think you'll love it, particularly during this football season. But we're 365, as you know. Recruiting never stops. Football never stops. you got the draft. You've got free agency. You've got recruiting all year round. We cover it all. We've got it all. It's never a slow time of year for us, as it is not for you. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. Chris Landry here on Recruiting Every Second. Presented by Bet Online. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.